you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16. Uh, some of you have asked this morning where Megan is, and uh, don't worry, she has not left me. If she did, I wouldn't be here because I'd follow her. And so I tell her, I was almost going to say I tell her all the time, if you leave me, that's not true. But I, I joke all the time, you can never leave me because I will follow you. And so that's how we will stay married forever or until Jesus comes back or however that works out. So uh, she is uh, with some family uh, this weekend, left on Thursday. Her cousin um, is having her first baby. And so she was a part of throwing a shower and all of the ladies got together and I wasn't invited, and I'm okay with that. And so me and Tolson have been hanging out at the house, doing what guys do, hanging out at the house, watching Tumble Leaf and Daniel Tiger, and uh, went to the park, fell down a slide. It was lots of fun, uh, all sorts of things. And so uh, really looking forward to Megan being home um, later tonight. <laughs> I have to do some dishes and clean and stuff, but you know, we'll get there eventually. I did put laundry in, so that was good. Uh, that has nothing to do. Proverbs 16 uh, is where we'll be. I need some wisdom, as you can tell from whatever in the world I just did with that opening. Uh, when I was, uh, I have a tendency to live in unwise ways. I don't, I don't know about you, but that's definitely me. In fact, I bear marks on my body from uh, making unwise decisions. Uh, when I was uh, three, the earliest scar that I can remember, uh, when I was three years old, uh, my dad uh, laid floor for a living, did that for, I don't know, 35 years or however long he did it. And so uh, the, his, his van was, uh, we didn't have a lot of money, so it was also transportation when he wasn't working. Uh, and also his work truck during the week. Uh, but there was always a rule when approaching his van. He said, don't open the side sliding door. Back in the day, um, vans, you'd have to open the sliding door yourself. You couldn't push a button and do it. I don't know if you guys have seen this, lovers and things. And so I don't know why I decided to address that side of the room. It was for Norm and Ida, maybe. Um, maybe not the young people in front of them. So... Um, so uh, we would go, and that was the rule, because as my dad would drive around, the generator would slide next to the door, and if you open the door, he needed to be there to catch the generator so that it didn't fall and crush a three-year-old little body. Well, at three years old, I thought I knew more than my parents, and it turns out that that's true of many three-year-olds. And it is that they think that, but it is totally true that they don't know more than their parents. You see, my dad knew that if I were to open the van door, that an inevitable uh, emergency room visit would happen, which was not uncommon. I'm one of four boys, and so uh, that wasn't uncommon in my household. But nonetheless, it was inconvenient. And on top of that, just watching your kid get hurt when it could be avoided is just no fun. And so I knew all of that, or at least I thought I did, but I thought I could handle it. And I went out to the car to get going wherever it is we were going. And I opened the sliding van door and you'll never guess what happened. Y'all, I got crushed by a generator. And in fact, I have a scar on my knee. It's one of my earliest memories of, uh, of, of being hurt. I have a scar on my knee because this generator fell, and it fell on my knee, 
I couldn't get up from underneath it because I was three years old. And uh, so I remember what it looked like. I remember the uh, ensuing um, mess that was made blood. And I remember going to the emergency room and I remember my dad saying, this is exactly why I told you that I am the one to open the van door. Now, that's a, a silly thing. We all have stories like that uh, from growing up, or at least many of us do, of where we did not listen when we should have listened. And we kind of went our own way and found all ourselves hurt, beat up, and broken. And on top of that, we have scars because of that. Now, I wish I could say that that was the last time that I didn't, that I listened to uh, someone who is wiser than me when I shouldn't, or that I listened and heeded to wisdom, and instead uh, that it was the last time that I should have, and I did not. But every time I, uh, I get a haircut, and Megan cuts my hair because my hair grows like crazy, and it costs a lot of money to get haircuts, and so every time she cuts my hair, it, she sees, notices something else that seems like a new scar, but it's old because all over this head of mine, I have reminders of times I did not walk wisely. And you have those scars in your own life as well. When you, when you went your own way, and whether they're physical, and let's be real, those things heal, and you get some stitches, and you move on and have a good story for later... But even deeper than that, you have spiritual and emotional stories of times where you went outside of what God would have you do. You went your own way. And now as a more, more mature follower of Christ, you look back and go, I didn't even know that I didn't know sometimes. But nonetheless, you walk with a limp or you walk with a scar and now you found yourself hurt. Now, God's word is not ignorant of this reality. God is not ignorant of the fact that you come into relationship with him with all sorts of scars, with all sorts of ways you were bruised and beat up. And on top of this, understanding that there's a tension between the reality that I have lived this life and God is calling me to a fulfilled thriving, flourishing life and walk with Christ. And these two things seem so far apart so often that it seems impossible to bridge the gap. God knows about that tension in our life. And in, in Proverbs chapter 16, God is going to tell us a few things that we need to know to bridge the gap between the issues that we have in life, the limps and scars that we walk with from our past to the future where God has designed for you a flourishing life in Christ. Now, let me tell you something before we get there. That a flourishing life in Christ, a walk that is vibrant and beautiful and glorious with Christ does not always look like what we think life ought to look like when we think of having a flourishing, successful life. I have this, this conversation with uh, young pastors all the time where they have a conversation where they're talking with me and uh, I just, 
I, I don't, I'm, I'm not devil's advocate, but like, I just like playing the other side. At this point, I don't know, any debate, I just jump in on the side that's weakest and go at it, you know, just, I really don't care. And so, uh, most of the time. And so, this is one of those things where I just jump in and begin to challenge and wonder where their heart is in this. Because honestly, the decision is between them and the Lord, but me, in helping mentor, my job is to challenge and sharpen and strengthen so they know what God has. And as I talk with them, as they're looking for what God has for their life, oftentimes they begin to discern God's will and his walk for them by what would be materially better in the future, for example. I talk with those who have a part-time job and they're praying about God's desire and will for their life. When they say, I know it will be God's will if I can have a full-time job with benefits at a certain salary in a certain location at a certain place so I can provide a certain level for me and my family. Now, you and I both know it's not an evil thing to desire to be able to provide for your family or for a future family or to be able to pay your bills. That is a good and godly thing. You ought to, especially as a Christian man in charge of overseeing a family, the weight of that responsibility in scripture falls on you. Has nothing to do with earning potential or whether or not your spouse makes more than you. That's not the point. The point is that the responsibility of that, the accountability for that falls on you. That's that's a good thing. But there's more to the Christian life than just measuring God's will by something that feels better. There's more to the Christian life than discerning God's path for me, than simply seeing, does it set me up to live a better life based on providing income and things? Those aren't bad things, but there are better things to base God's will for your life on. In fact, very rarely do I hear someone with the tension in their heart about what God's design is for me, and they're questioning between their current position and something lower than them. You know, it sounds a lot like God to call somebody in Scripture to go from what they're doing to something that may even be beneath them. Man, not that God does not call us there. That's not the point of this passage. But rather that as I search through and help walk through and lead the thinking and the spiritual conversation with these young guys and girls, I ask the question, well, what would it sound like if God were to call you to, I don't know, give up everything and take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Do you think it could be God's will? It could be God's will. If your way, the end of that, was sickness and hardship and poverty, ending in death, and nobody knew your name, would that be okay with you? What if the end of this thing, that God's will for your life as you're praying through, he said, I want you to give up your sweet accounting job and go work for this podunk organization in the middle of India so that you can be a Christian witness for the sake of the gospel. What if that was that? And all over the place they say, of course I would do that. And so then I ask the question, why would you base God's wisdom on your life and walk 
by material gain and possessions when you know there is such a greater mission for your life. Now I say that because we, just like them, have all come to a place where we want to know how to have a flourishing life in Christ. And some of the answers that bounce around our heads are biblical. Man, they're beautiful. That we should consider, does this provide for the commitments that I have in my life and in my relationships? But over all of that is something even greater as we discern God's walk, God's will for our life, how he measures a flourishing walk. In fact, that's what we're going to look at today. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, we're going to see this beautiful reality that the Christ life. Okay, remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Eric started us out. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and fools despise knowledge and instruction. But the idea that the beginning of wisdom, where it all starts, is understanding that, G, that God is God over all things. And we fear him, yes, because he squashes those who are against him. Just like in the book of Revelation, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to tickle everyone. But he's, he's coming back to like destroy those who don't believe in him and call into his presence all who do believe in him. Yes, there is that fear, but also the fear that there is awe and beauty and wonder on who, G, on who God is. And so we begin by recognizing that God is over all things. And it would be foolish to despise knowledge and instruction because in Scripture it's revealed that in Christ all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found, that Jesus is wisdom from God to us. And so to walk in wisdom is to be like Jesus. And then we began to understand this reality that as we walk in Christ, he calls us to continue to live for him in every single way. Even last week, our words, that he owns everything about me, he owns what I do, that my uh, that my job is not to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may present your bodies, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as a living sacrifice. Everything about me from top to bottom is all his, including my mouth, my mind, and my words. And so this week in Proverbs chapter 16, we're going to see this beautiful reality that the Christ life trusts God to take us wherever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And if I could just add something small to that, even if it does not look like we think it should. Now that sounds like something heavy and a big deal, because it is. Because when Jesus saves you, he does not just save you so you can stay exactly as you are. He saves you so that you can be like him. And the problem at salvation is that you're not. And so he makes you like him and continues to make you like him as you grow as a follower of Christ. 
And one of those ways in being like Christ is not just with what we say, but also with what we do. In fact, if at the end of this, you can simply come to the conclusion from Scripture by the Holy Spirit that God's desire for your life is a blank page where you say, I will do whatever you want, wherever you want me to, however you want me to, then this will have been a successful morning. And we can go celebrate at the block party at 3 o'clock this afternoon in South Norfolk for Big Serve all day long. Listen, you need to do that anyways because it's going to be a ton of fun. Talk about it more at the end. Well, you can do that. That'll be a successful day if we can come to that conclusion. But if you walk out of here and you say, that sermon was okay, uh, because it will just be okay, and the, the scripture was pretty inspirational, because God's word is inspirational, but I don't know about this whole, like, wherever, however, whatever he wants me to do thing, like, maybe some of that, you have missed the point of being a follower of Christ. You've missed it. And I'm not just saying that as like, that's what a preacher's supposed to say, right? I'm saying that because the testimony of God and his people in all of Scripture is that those who believe and trust in him, those who believe and do what he says, a word for that is faith, those who have faith in God find themselves changing. Sometimes they're places they never thought they would, they would be. Sometimes they're doing things they never thought they would do. Sometimes it's continuing with what they're doing, but doing it in a different way. Sometimes it is completely changing directions and careers, all so that Jesus Christ would be made known. Just think through Scripture with me and let us reason together to see if this is actually true. I mean, Abraham, man, was doing well, and he was told by God to get to step in so that God would reveal to him where, his, where the future land would be, and he picked up everything, changed his location, and went to a completely different place. Now, he didn't do it perfect. None of these people are. But man, Abraham changed because of his following of God. Uh, think, about, uh, think about Cain and Abel at the very beginning, right? Uh, Cain went to worship God and was doing it properly with everything that God intended of him. And be, Abel, rather. Did I say Cain? Abel. Abel did that, not Cain. Abel did that. And because of that process, massive uh, new direction in life. Like death, right? Uh, continuing on through this, like Noah, before Abraham, he believed God. And it was accredited to him as righteousness, Romans says. And in the book of James, that... His faith was verified by the fact that he responded in action and obedience to God. And so in that process, Noah was doing all right until God said, build a boat for 120 years. And then I'm going to send a flood you've never seen. Massive change in direction of his life. And continuing on, Abraham's wife, Sarah, God promised her in her barrenness you'd have a baby. And so she waited and waited and waited 
and waited. I know that, pro- that journey, but not for like 25 years. She waited, and then finally at like 90 years old, she had a baby. Massive change in direction for her life of how it would have looked if she had chosen it. Continuing on, Isaac, man, he had kids that had kids had kids that fought their whole life. Jacob wanted a wife, and so he went and worked for his uncle Laban and was tricked into marrying Leah, his kind of like weird half-cousin. Old Testament is awesome. And so then he was tricked into marrying her, but he really wanted to marry Rachel, and so he worked 14 years for a corrupt guy. And in that process, man, his life had a massive change in direction. I mean, Joseph, do you guys remember the story of Joseph? Goodness, if you're new to church world, that's okay. Here's what happened with Joseph. He had this dream that God's design for his life, the way that God would lead him, would be that all of his brothers and even his father would one day bow down to him and he would lead them. So his brothers heard this, captured him, were going to kill him, sold him into slavery, got sold into slavery, got raised up in Potiphar's house, got uh, maligned by Potiphar's wife, got sent back to jail, told a couple of dreams, spent some time in jail, and then was raised up in Egypt. And then finally, this whole thing came true. Do you think, if you were to ask Joseph when he was young, how will my life look? What will my profession be? That he would say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's plan A for my life. Here's what God wants me to do. Here we go. Here's what I'm going to, um, I'm going to be tried to get killed by my brothers, but it's not going to work because Reuben is going to protect me, kind of, and say, sell me to the slaves instead. And so I'm a slave, and then I'm going to get all this process and get accused and go to jail. It's going to be awesome. That's God's design. But that, that, that is not what Joseph would have chosen. I mean, I could continue to go through and Moses and God's people in Egypt and uh, uh, God's people as they got out of Egypt. And my goodness, as we look and what God continues to do in Scripture, the 12 disciples who were all doing something and then sometimes did that thing while also following Jesus everywhere around Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Man, you see a massive change in direction. So what about us? You see, if you look in Scripture and you examine a life that follows Jesus, you will find that just about everybody has a massive change in the way that they had planned things out to be and that God had done it on purpose. In fact, I'm just curious. Um, This isn't an embarrassing question, so, you know, don't have to put your card up. Um, How many of you ended up doing what you thought you would do in high school? Bad question. How many of you ended up not doing what you thought you would do in high school? Lift your hand. Yeah, I'm, this was, I didn't know in high school this is what I was going to do, right? I mean, it just, you know that this is what happens in life. And here's what I want you to know, that God has a purpose in your redirection. And I want you to know, and someone needs to hear this today, that God's redirection is way better than the life you would have chosen, even if you don't feel like it would be right now. 
that God has a purpose in his way versus your way and helping redirect your way to be his way because we don't often know what our best way is and as we go about our own way, we, God is protecting us from the scars that can happen when we go our own way because we know that's the inevitable end of our own desires. So that being said, let's look at Hebrews, let's look at Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews has 15 chapters. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. And let's take a look at what it looks like to trust God to take us wherever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to. In fact, here's the first thing we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to see that the Christ life recognizes that my plans put into action are driven by God's design in the Christ life. That is, as a follower of Christ, what God wants to do with you is take your ways and make them his ways. That's what he wants to do. Uh, look at chapter 16, verse 1. Uh, Solomon writes, the plans of the heart belong to a man or woman, general word for person, although it is man, but you know what I mean. When I'm like, hey, man, like person, the plans of the heart belong to a person, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In other words, what, Proverb, what Solomon is pointing out is that the plans that we make are not always what God wants us to do. What comes out of our heart, remember the last couple of weeks, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, what comes out of our heart, this connection, that what we do and say reveals where our heart is, but where our heart is ought to change, and God desires to change what we actually do. That's what speaking is talking about. What we actually do is, in the second half, from the Lord. This is a beautiful thing because for some of us in here, change is really, really hard. It's easy to agree with the reality that like my life exists for the glory of God and I'll go wherever, whenever, however, whatever he calls me to do, blank page, that's good. Until like that becomes a reality and he says, that's great, go here and do this at this place at this time. Or even more difficult. When our kids come in and say, I know I wanted to be a pre-med student my entire life, but I really feel like God is calling me to the nations to bring the gospel to Congo. It doesn't pay anything. I'll probably be on your insurance until I'm 26, just like I am now. But in this moment, is that okay with you, mom and dad? You're going to have to figure out your own retirement because you won't be living with me. Is that okay? When they say things, as I was in student ministry and had to talk with parent after parent about like, I promise your child will be okay. You know, we're... We're just going to North Carolina for a mission trip. Like, it's not, it's not that far, let alone, like, the ends of the earth. Like, it, it's, it's okay. We're now this challenge of, God, my plans are this. And oftentimes our hearts are shaped by our circumstances. And that's not always a bad thing. But then as it begins to play and as you begin to grow, it begins to change. And it's easy to say yes until God changes the plan. And in that beautiful thing, you have to know from cover to cover in Scripture, the Christ life recognizes that I have plans, 
But when they get put into action, because I'm in Christ, they are to be done, driven by God's design for my life, not my own ambition. And that's what we go to in verse 2. Look at verse 2 right here. Uh, Solomon writes, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Here's, here's where this really gets real and what Solomon's saying and what you and I both know. At a certain point in life, man, you can justify in your own heart anything you want to. You can convince yourself and others that it's right. And listen, that doesn't mean that it's wrong, but it doesn't mean that it's right either. You can talk in circles and say why you ought to do or not do that thing and how it would be responsible or irresponsible as you get older, how it would mess up your retirement plan as you're younger, how it would mess up your college years as you're somewhere in the middle, how it would affect my family and career growth potential, how I wouldn't be able to have that job or house. Like you can, you can do that and even say because those aren't bad, evil things. In fact, they are good things when rightly exercised in a godly way. But in that, we can, this, that's, what, that, what's the, that's what Solomon is referring to. Your ways are done in a way, not because you look at that and go, this is evil, I'm going to do it this way. No, because you look at it and go, huh, this is pretty good. But then the second half of verse 2, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. In other words, God is looking beyond your action down to your heart from which the action flows. That the life that God has for you is not just a life that is morally innocent, where we don't offend people and where we do okay and stay out of it, but rather a life that is repugnant perhaps to the world, but invasive for the sake of the gospel. That is not justifying an action toward, toward the glory of God in Christ by whatever it is that we do, but is rather qualifying everything we do through the sake of seeing Jesus Christ made known. That this is what the Christ life leads us to see. That as we examine our own hearts, our own desires, and our own way of doing things, and the reason behind it, we can look at that and even justify it, but sometimes God intervenes and says, I know your heart behind it, but my way is better. I know your spirit. What I have for your spirit is way better than if it went like that. Like, I know that because the end of the Bible is a death of all things that we hate in sin. All things that bring crying and shame and death and maligning of things. All of those things are put away. And so in that process, we know that in the end, God wins. And so as we look at the way God has called us to be, we ask the question, God, am I desiring this because my own ambition or am I desiring this because this is your ambition for my life? And that's the difference that the Christian knows. That our end goal is not to be awesome, but to see God as awesome in all things. Third way, check this out, verse 3. Uh, the, Solomon continues on. 
Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 through 24, turn there real quick. This is beautiful. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae as they are experiencing a culture that's very similar to ours. And as, after he goes through the section of, um, of uh, uh, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, he then continues on, and whatever you do, verse 17, and word and deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he goes on, if you're going to be a husband and a wife, here's what that looks like. If you're going to be a servant, here's what this looks like. If you're going to be a master, here's what this looks like following. And in the middle of all that, in verse 23, he again says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord God. What Paul is getting at is what Solomon knows, that your work, what you do, has very little to do in the end, your, re your reward that you get with whether or not you accomplished what you set out to do, but rather what God desires of your life. By that, you will stand or fall. So what do we do with all this? There's a few key things I want to point out, and then we'll be done. The first is that you, listen, you absolutely know that God is in the habit of changing the direction of your life. You know how I know that? Because you come into the Christ life through a process called repentance, right? Repentance literally means U-turn, going the other way. That's how the Christian life starts. And so as you continue in the Christian life, you know that your life began by turning in a new direction and your life continues to grow more like Christ by turning in a new direction. So what do we do? Listen, number one, own those U-turns. When God turns your life around and you are forced to turn away or go the other way, I want you to know that God is doing something in your life. Even if it wasn't wrong, God isn't in your life so that you can stop doing wrong things or that you can do better things, but that you can do with your life what God is calling you to do, to bring him the utmost glory and honor. Y'all own the U-turn. Embrace it. Get with an older brother or sister in Christ, someone who has some gray in their hair, who walks like Jesus, and ask them, listen, this feels like a massive redirection. Should I fight through it or should I continue with it? And allow them to walk you through what God says in Scripture and how they've seen it in their own life, how it feels huge and it feels like a major turnaround, but really it's just a left-hand turn and God's taking you a different direction. Y'all embrace the U-turns. Because God's not calling you to fret about the change in direction. God often uses a change in direction to help your heart grow more like his. Embrace, own the U-turns. Number two, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in roadblocks. If God doesn't want you to go that way, 
If the way that you are going is not where God wants you to go, he loves you enough to stop you. Now, y'all, listen, we can be ignorant enough to run right headfirst into his roadblock, can't we? We can justify things all day long. But in that process, if God, as you're seeking him, puts a roadblock in the way and says, job denied, engagement broken, relationship cut off. If God puts a roadblock in your way and it is not because you are in the wrong place where you should not be, this is a beautiful thing to rejoice. Uh, A few months ago, I enjoy hiking. It's just a lot of fun for me because my only job is to walk and that's it. Like you just walk and then at the end you set up a tent and uh, just a good time for me to um, kind of recenter uh, when life gets crazy. Uh, last time I went, uh, I went hiking, um, I was on a section by myself for a while and I came up to this overlook and ledge and I couldn't figure out where it was because signs aren't always that good and uh, who needs a map? Psh. And so I'm a man. I'll find my own way in the wilderness, says every person who gets lost, except for the women. They say, I'm a woman. I don't need a map and compass. So anyways, the point is I, was, I thought, well, this must be it. So I kind of began to trek through this area that wasn't that paved. And then I thought I found the, the ledge because it was a series of rocks that kind of looked like what I thought it, it should. And I began to jump and jump. And then I jumped to this ledge. And then there was this massive wall in front of me, or uh, it was actually, that's not, that was an exaggeration. Don't let me do that. It, it was about this high. And, um, and I thought, oh, well, that, I didn't see that when I was coming up. Um, and I can't figure out how to get around this thing because of how the rock formation was. Um, and so I was standing there for a minute, just staring at it. And um, I was looking around, trying to figure out how to get around this thing. And I looked and there was a tail. And, um, and then I followed the tail, and at the end, there was, um, it looked like a rattle. Have you seen this thing? These, these, the, these um, animals that have a rattle on it? And so I thought, well, that's odd. And then I began to look at it again. It was like literally where I would have jumped had I <laughs> gone over this roadblock. And then as I was looking at it, um, there was a second one as it was laid on top And here's what would have happened had I by myself in the middle of nowhere, somewhere on the Appalachian Trail, someone would have found me eventually, right? Like uh, in the middle of nowhere, what would have happened had I continued on through this roadblock, I would have stepped on two like four or five foot long rattlesnakes, which I've never done, but (laughs) I'm assuming that would have been bad, right? You see, there's a beautiful thing about, and as my heart was pumping and I was sweating, and I, then I stopped to take pictures, you know, and uh, uh, as I was doing that, man, just like joy of, I'm so glad that I was not so dumb that I didn't try to do that. Now, that's not actually what happened. You see, the way that God had designed it was that, though I could have muscled my way around and over that thing, it would have been really hard and it gave me a moment to be okay and celebrate because I got to see what was on the other side of that. Now listen, God does not always tell you what's on the other side of your roadblocks. You don't always get to understand it either. 
It's like with your children, children, when you say don't open the generator door or whatever, or don't stick the fork in the electrical socket, or uh, don't stand and jump on the couch, they're not thinking about what's on the other side. They think you're stopping them, and you are because you love them. You see, we have to rejoice in roadblocks, number three and last. Man, embrace the detours. Now, as I was redirected, I made my way to actual the beauty of where I was supposed to be. And it was incredible. Best view so far I have seen from a summit. But that detour did not come without realizing that where I had wanted to go the first place would have inevitably led to death. Embrace the detour. And this is where it gets real. Because most of your Christian life is spent, if you're a follower of Christ seeking him, even seeking after good things, facing detours. Where you believe that you're supposed to go in this direction and God redirects a little bit off. And as you look back, you realize, I wouldn't have chosen another path if I could have because I see all that God was doing now that I'm down the road. This was very real to me, and this isn't always everyone's story. Uh, when I was in dive school, when I was going through training in the military, um, they do this thing where honor man, the, whoever graduates first, um, gets choice of orders. And so I knew that's a good thing. Like, if you can choose where to go rather than being voluntold where to go, you try to choose where you're going to go. And so I worked my butt off, and I didn't know how it was going to work out. But about three weeks out before we were supposed to get orders, uh, my, uh, my, one of my instructors came out, and I was sitting uh, standby. So there were people in the water, and I was just there in case something happens um, and to rescue them, which in reality at that level of training, it wouldn't have been me. <laughs> Somebody else. So they, I was just sitting there in a hot wetsuit in the sun in Florida. Like, so that was fun. And so as we, the instructor came out and he said, hey, um, guess what? Orders came in. Do you guys want to know where you want to go? And I said, whoa, hey, um, excuse me. I thought there was like this process where maybe, um, you know, first in class gets choice of orders. Then everybody else just kind of uh, fights it out and all that. And he said, nope, needs of the Navy. And so uh, I thought, which like to this day, you have to know, um, I have never seen another class go through that. I, that usually there's a fight out through orders. There's 30 people. They give you 30 sets. First in class goes first or however the instructors choose. And maybe that happens, but it doesn't happen often where you just get assigned or at least there. You might get something you don't want. But anyways, it's just it doesn't happen like this happened. So the first guy, you got to know on my dream sheet, I put anywhere overseas. Literally, I made my own mind. All bold caps, anything overseas, join the Navy, see the world. I was 19 years old, you know, uh, had a paycheck of $360 twice a month in my pocket, and I was going to live large. And so I had this dream, and that's what I wanted to do. I even put La Madalena, Italy, that's where I wanted to go. And the Bahrain, that had a pretty cool thing going on at the time. Uh, uh, Cuba had this thing going on at the time, it was really cool. Anything overseas. So they went through the class, and then they got down to me. My last name's Whitney, so I was like, and they got down to Whitney and said, Whitney, you want to know where you're going? And it just, I mean, it hit me like a, 
I don't know, something that hits you hard. Like I just knew, I said, I bet I'm going to shore duty in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> yeah, right? And so you know where I ended up? Mid-Atlantic Regional Maintenance Center. No, at the time it was called Ships Intermediate, Ma- Intermediate Maintenance Activity in Norfolk, Virginia. I wasn't going anywhere. I was so angry. Y'all, I was, I was, like, I went home that night. We got up early in the morning. I did my quiet times uh, at night. And so I, I, I went home that night or back to my barracks at night. I was, I was so angry at God. I thought, man, I have been, like, faithfully serving you. This is not what I want to do. This is not why I joined the Navy. This is not why I'm doing this. Now, forgetting that the previous 18 and a half years of my life was total debauchery and God was faithful for me. But I thought that because I was faithful for a few months that I had earned the right to tell God that I ought to do what I ought to do with my life. And so why in the world would I do that? Like that is not what I want to do. And I'll never forget in that room, there are times in life where God is just extra thick. I mean, if you don't spend time with the Lord daily, you're missing out. Most days are just, cool, Proverbs says this. Like, I get it, because I'm there, and it's my, my job is to do that. And still, there's days where, wow, that's what the Bible says. All right, and then you, you know, but there's some days where God just lays on you. And I'll never forget him stepping into my life and saying, I am redirecting your plans. Here's what happened. I went from... Uh, dive school, and I did get first place. I would have gotten choice of orders, and I would not be here today if that had happened. I promise, because here's what happened. Um, I got sent from there to Norfolk. Uh, I got stationed there on April 14th. Um, I looked in the yellow book to find a church. I went to this young adult thing, and there was this girl, and the rest is history. That ended up being my wife. Uh, At this young adult thing, God continued to place people in my life to help redirect my life. There happened to be an opening in student ministry. God was working in my heart toward calling me in to ministry. And I was good at my job and having fun and making rank and all that, like calling me in to ministry. And so I was a first class petty officer by day and a student ministry intern by night. You know, it was awesome. And so uh, actually, pretty similar job. And so dealing with, right? And so in that process, the Lord opened a door. Three years later, I was still at this church at First Norfolk. And God continued to redirect my life, that detour. Y'all, I'm telling you, I fought it and I hated it. But if I could go back, I would not choose a single thing different. God knows way better for the direction of your life than you do. He knows so much more about what your thriving life in him looks like. And it might look like being an incredible, godly accountant where you are. It might look like leading a great business or being a thriving artist or starving artist or however that looks it might look like being just being being, I was gonna say being just a mom you know I've spent the last four days with my son I need to go back to work like I'm ready for a break Uh, my wife is incredible like that might be God's design for your 
life. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what God desires of you is to simply put your blank page on the table and say, God, what would you have me do? Where would you have me do it? God, these are indeed the plans in my heart, but I want my answer to be from you. God, these are the, indeed the way that I think is pure, but I want you to weigh my spirit and tell me whether or not this lines up with you. God, this is indeed the work that I am doing. It is yours. Do with me whatever you want. God desires for you to come to the conclusion that your life in Christ, his desire for you is to lay it down and say whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want, even God, if it doesn't look like what you want me to, what I think it should rather. And in that process, you let him do the U-turns. You let him put the roadblocks up. You can fight it. There's a snake on the other side. <laughs> you embrace the detours. You watch as God leads and you follow him and let him write the story of your life.